You're now listening to a Rat House Production Podcast. For more podcasts like this, head to rettahaus.net. What'd you have for breakfast today, Z? Didn't eat breakfast. Didn't? Don't eat breakfast. Oh, you don't? No. You're not, you're not a breakfast guy. I'm not a breakfast guy. It makes yeah. me sick in the morning. I, get, I drink usually three cups of coffee, and sometimes maybe I'll have like, Stephanie drinks these like shakes in the morning, so maybe I'll have like... Maybe sometimes, very rarely, I'll drink, like, a shake or mm-hmm. something, you know, which is, like, generally consists of, like, fruit and some protein powder or something. Yeah. I, uh, I've i started doing that because I, I go to work at 5 in the morning. So, like, I uh, I don't want to eat that fucking early in the morning. So I uh, my wife bought these, like, protein shakes that you just – I just dump it in a water bottle with fucking with, – with milk and, and – Take shake it to work, up. yeah. Shake it, take it to work, drink it on the way there, and then that'll keep me up until my break time. But protein actually is pretty filling. Yeah, like when you you know when you put all that in there, it's crazy what it crazy yeah. what it ends up doing. Like I've been wanting to to add like bananas and shit like that to it, but I mean this is just real quick. I just fucking throw it in there and, and drink it on the way. Yeah, just to get something in my system. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people it's kind of same. I would say ex- excuse, but it's like the same thing. Like I can't fucking eat, especially like you wake up. What time I wake, you wake up at three forty-five. Yeah, it's in the like your your stomach's not yeah. ready. I feel like your your natural rhythm isn't just set just yet. Yeah, like so I eat like at seven ish. I grind know? up my coffee at night and then basically put it all in the in the machine. So that way, in the morning, I wake up and just flick the button and then go into the bathroom, take a shower. Mm-hmm. Like I have like the the routine, the set routine that I have to go through, and then and then. uh and then I don't think I eat until like eight or ten o'clock yeah. in the morning. Like eat like actual fucking food. Mm-hmm. So I think I eat my breakfast usually around eight in the morning. Yeah. I wake up five, but yeah, I can't eat. I can't eat that early. I don't know why. It's hard right away. Yeah. It's hard right away. You know. Waking Thank you, up Steve. Shit. Pouring some coffee right now. This is a. Uh, was this leftover from the last time or? No, this is the one you just brought today. Okay, this is the, the Wayne Foundation from JustCoffee.coop. Uh, it's a very. Uh, it's a dark roast. The one you brought last time, I, I took it to work, and I have a little French press that I use there. <clears throat> I don't share my coffee because they drink shit coffee. I recently had a an exit from my coffee club at work. Oh no shit! Yeah, it was getting a little out of control. <laughs> people were some people felt that like they feel like if you're in trial, you shouldn't have to bring coffee, and they also felt like everyone should pay the same amount for coffee. But I felt like if you're an attorney. And you make significantly more than the clerical <laughs> staff. Then why would we all more. pay the same amount? Yeah. yeah, you should you should pay more. Yeah, I tried to explain this. They called it Zexit because I left the. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, we had one of those at work, and it was like five bucks a month or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. And you like pays for the coffee and the creamer and everything. It's fucking that's socialism, bro. But you, know, you fucking. <laughs> I but make you more, have so people you that pay more. Yeah, the, the people fuck? that um, fucking. They don't pay at all, and then it's like slowly the funds just start dwindling down. To, to now, it's just like just bring your own coffee. <laughs> yeah, see, and that's I think that may have been what happened before I joined. Now, what it is is, or what it was eventually, initially it was that, but I think eventually it was like just everyone is on a schedule to bring in a bag of coffee every week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Better, I guess. The issue with that is some people were bringing a better coffee than others. Uh. A, a tub of Folgers. <laughs> I'm like, come on, bro, I can't drink Folgers. <laughs> I mean, despite. That's- you know, popular belief. It is not yeah. the best part of waking up. It yeah. really is not. That's uh, that's what um, 
if you've ever watched the filmage, the Descendants uh, oh, yeah. documentary, of course, uh, Bill Stevenson talks about that. Like, because they didn't, they weren't dr- uh, drinkers. They didn't do drugs or anything like that. They just drank coffee and they drank the nastiest, blackest sludge. Co- like, they would just make that instant coffee that just yeah. fucking. Yeah. And they, he was like, it was just like thick. It was like pudding. He would just fucking. Ugh. Have you and heard the new just, record? Uh, I haven't heard it yet. No. Oh my god! Dude, I listened to it yes, yeah. uh, day before yesterday. It's so good. It's that that band is one of. One of the best bands in the world, and one of yes. the most underrated bands, I, I, in my my opinion. Like, I don't. I like they. They get a big, you know, rep for you know basically inventing pop punk music, but like, I don't think the overall like the scope of that band. I don't think they get the cred that they really deserve. It's true, especially all the other groups that those people have been in. Mm-hmm. You know, Black Flag and all, and, and you know, like yeah, it's classic just, bands, yeah. Oh, all right. Welcome, everybody, to an episode of the Everything Bagel podcast. Uh, I am Steve. I am Bean. And uh, today we're joined by uh, a very dear old friend of mine. Um, he is a uh, he works for the uh, public defender's office here in Ventura, and uh, he's also a an, an incredible uh, musician here in Ventura County. So, uh, everybody, please welcome Zeke Berkeley. Yay! Hello. Uh, Real quick, we are going to play a song off of his, uh, what would you describe this as, an 8-bit uh, project? Yeah, uh, um, Ochiru is an 8-bit uh, fantasy-based music project. Uh, and uh, the music is absolutely incredible. Uh, this is a song by Oshiru called Destiny.
And we're back. Again, that was Oshiru with the song Destiny. Uh, Oshiru.bandcamp.com. O-C-H-I-R-U.bandcamp.com. Please, please check them out. Uh, we'll check him out. Uh, uh, he has a ton of songs on, on that Bandcamp account, and they're all really, really good and really diverse. So uh, thanks again, Zeke, for coming in on such short notice. Absolutely. Um, we uh, kind of to continue our little uh, job series here. Um, we I know that you work for the public defender's office here in, in Ventura, uh, as I've said before, and I've always been kind of interested in that profession and what that kind of entails. So like we thought it would be a perfect opportunity for you to come on and, and kind of talk about that. And I'm sure there's a lot of interesting aspects of that place. And uh, oh yeah, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, essentially the, the bulk of what we do is we represent, um, indigent people in criminal cases, um, who, you know, uh, in any other instance would be unable to, uh, afford, uh, proper counsel. Um, so actually what's a pretty funny question is how old do you think the idea of a public defender is in his, I mean, historically, if you had to guess 150, 150 years something like that uh yeah i'd say about 100 years it's actually about 50 years old really really <laughs> yeah so what happened is there's this and <laughs> there's this guy um and i believe it's in florida his name is uh uh, uh man it's it's escaping me right now but it'll come to me as we go but essentially this guy is a known thief in the area um and he ends up getting busted on one of these on one of these charges for for stealing and he claims to the cops you know for the first time ever this isn't this was not me i wasn't there and they say whatever you're a known thief in the area we know you, you we know you broke and stole it so um uh ultimately he ends up uh having to go to jail and he gets conv- and i mean he has a trial and he's convicted because he d- couldn't afford proper yeah. counsel so he writes a letter to the supreme court and the Supreme Court actually agrees with the letter he writes and completely amends the Constitution so that it can so that he all people can be afforded the counsel of, yeah. of their choice an appointed one. So obviously it's on a state by state basis, and there's obviously different funding, and it works different ways in other states. But um, that's that's the way that it came to be. So and that was that was very recent in history. It's you know I actually when I thought when I think about the idea, I think of it as like perhaps even going back to Roman times or yeah, something. As long know. as people, I was thinking like as time has passed, like so many people have been in trial in quotations, like they've have to have had somebody right it's not just like all right so what do you think you did or tell us what you think you did like, what's what's crazy is if you couldn't afford it that's kind of what it was yeah it was you it was, yeah. you kind of just had to do it yourself <laughs> you know um so yeah it's it's one of those things where God, i want to remember this guy's name so bad and i'm going to remember it now um but anyway regardless that's the reason that we do what we do and um uh it's about 50 years old and what we do is a great service to the community, I think. Uh, and, yeah, that's basically the, the gist of it. We also do uh, represent people uh, in a conservatorship capacity. So if somebody is basically unable to manage their affairs, a lot of times it's uh, people with mental health issues or mm-hmm. o- older people uh, will represent them in a capacity uh, in regard to getting their finances or sometimes even being freed from a conservatorship. Mm-hmm. 
because um, sometimes they'll get themselves into one and then they're like, actually, I do know how to manage my affairs and we help them prove that. So a, a lot of people get the impression that what we do is get people off yeah. for, for yeah. crimes. But really what I like to think it is, it's we make sure that if someone is sentenced for a crime that they've committed or that they have are alleged to have committed um, or even found to have committed – it's the appropriate sentence as opposed to an exorbitant one. That's the okay, that's yeah. the whole right to a fair trial kind of thing right there. Yes. Know? Yes. <clears throat> how like how long have you been working for the public defender's office? I I've been working for the public defender's office for almost 3 years now. Okay. And it's actually weird to say this but prior to working at the public defender's office, I worked at the district attorney's office, uh-huh. which is generally would you consider like the enemy, the, yeah, the other side of the coin. Yeah. yeah. They're <laughs> essentially the ones who charge um uh, choose the appropriate charge for somebody who's been alleged to have committed a crime. Yeah, and that was that was here in Ventura, right? That was here in Ventura I, also. I remember years ago you uh, talking to you and you were working there at that, and then coming to find out that you still do, but on basically on the opposite end of the fence. Yeah, like that, it's, yeah. you know, I worked there. I worked there for about three years also, and it was when I was very young. I was eighteen years old, and. It was a very, just such a weird environment, really sterile, really cold, and you get the impression that, you know, there's, there's a different, there's just a different mentality. There's this mentality that, uh, you know, overcharge, overcharge these cases, so that way if they get reduced, maybe it can be. Yeah, at least they get something. Exactly. And, and there's no, well, at least when I was there, there, I mean, there's always good and bad. There's some great attorneys in the district attorney's office, you know, and, and in fact, I still have lunch with a couple of them every now and then. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it's just a different mentality. They also, the funding that they have is is exceptionally more than mm-hmm. the funding we get. <laughs> I bet. Because yeah. obviously the government wants to pay the people who charge these cases more than they do the people who defend these people who've been charged. I was That was going to be my question. What was, how is it, how are the attitudes on either side like it's how how are they different from and i mean you basically answered it right you know up upstairs it was and it's really odd because now i work literally a floor below where i used to work Mm -hmm. so um up there it was different i mean i was a lot younger then but there was like i said it was very sterile and it was this mentality that change and then i ended up at that time i was my band was signed to a small label and we were going to tour and I asked them for the time off and I said, Hey, you know, I like working here. It's cool, but I need to take some time off. Like, you know, could I do like a leave and come back? And they said, well, you know, we're not going to approve that. So I just said, I quit. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I'm glad I did because now that I'm here, you have this, it's just a more, it's a family feeling. It is. Everyone's in this together. I mean, each time we get a, a great, um, a great verdict, it's announced over the intercom, and you, it just sort of these cheers are up from like the that's entire fucking, office. That's, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah, it's yeah. a cool feeling. How like how is that feeling? Basically saying, "Well, then I, I quit later." Yeah. And then, like, huh. like you just you know just walk out. Like how it was it was a scary feeling uh, yeah. because you have this stable job, and I was you know I was so young and stupid back then, and and I got in so young and. In my mind, and the benefits were so great. In my mind, I thought, "Oh man, I could work here forever and just kind of, you know, work my way up to some like mid-level mm-hmm. yeah. position and just do that, you know." And but um, it was hard to do. But I wanted to do music so badly, and I also wanted to make money so badly that it was I was torn between it. Mm. But ultimately, uh, it was the best thing I ever did because I got to have some awesome touring experiences and recording experiences with my band at that time. 
and it was a it was a rad feeling. Yeah, and it led you basically to where, what you're doing now, and you know, seems to us that you dig that much more than I definitely than, you know. do. Uh, uh, sorry, let me ask real quick: Were you kind of prepared to make that move going in when you were going to ask that for that leave of absence? I, you know, I was so impetuous and so um, uh, just willing to to make a move, and I, I, I think that. I mean, when you're, I mean, I was 19 years old, 20 years old. I feel like your brain's not even really developed yet. Yeah. And so, yeah, your adult brain is nowhere near (laughs) as developed. (laughs) Definitely not. And you don't have the experiences or wisdom to, to make decisions like I would now. So back then, you know, I think I was just kind of like, you know, I I think of myself also as somebody who sort of shoots from the hip and I kind of was just like, boom, let's do this. You know, I I thought about it and actually I had a conversation with Stephanie about it, who I just met, who's my fiance now. And I just met her at that time and we were talking about it and she was like, you gotta, you know, just gotta do what you, what you want to do, not what you've, what you feel like you're obligated to do, you know? That's like, that makes a huge difference to have someone, well, a significant other like that that's going to support you and like push you and to, what you want to do, not so much like, oh, we need this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of dealing with that right now in my, like in my job and then like the way my wife responds to it it's just like because like right now my work fucking sucks it's like, <laughs> so i come home and i kind of bring that shit home you, you, you know and, yeah you come and bitch and a little she's bit she's like why don't you just go there you know do your eight hours and then come home and then you have all this other shit that you're doing that's like way more fulfilling that you can spend your time on focusing on you know like right like doing music and then you know this podcast and she's like this stuff is the stuff that's funnest to you why don't you fuck you know fuck off at work for eight hours that's fine yeah go do your eight hours or however much overtime they want you to do it but then just leave that shit there don't even worry about it you know and then come home and deal with the stuff that you want to deal with you know absolutely so it, 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 you, you know being hit it on the head it was a, it's a huge plus to have someone that kind of nurtures that idea because yeah. ultimately it's gonna i think when we had justin eyes like if if i'm better as an individual i'm gonna be better as a husband or significant other because if i'm miserable then more likely yeah. I'm going to bring that to you. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great point. And yeah. I think that even with music, your happiness level is conducive to the general output in your writing. And actually, it I've found at times, especially when I was younger, that I'd almost sabotage my happiness because some people, some people uh, like, I mean, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head because it, it actually is more common the other way, but some people when they're happy, the output of their of their uh, their general output is fantastic, and they can just produce all these songs. But I find normally I have to have some kind of fucked up issue or problem <laughs> in my life in order to be right. successful. Up until recently, anyway, um, um, where I've been I've been having some uh, some real success writing, and I don't have anything fucked up going on in my life particularly at this moment. Yeah. But yeah, you know, the, your happiness level is conducive to to your general output in anything. I think so. That's true. That reminds me of something I was listening to uh, on a podcast, and uh, it's this guy. He actually recently passed away. I was kind of sad about it, but he said when he was younger, because he was like a power lifter competitor, mm. he would do the typical like teenage like listen to fucking crazy heavy metal music, like do stupid shit like headbutt the barbell and like thinking yeah. that would help him, right? Mm-hmm. That kind of that drama. When in, and then as he matured, he kind of realized oh, that was fucking stupid. Like I need to concentrate on this. And once he got to a better part in his life, he kind of realized he could still do those same things actually even better now because he was in the right mindset. Not so much like, cause I have these fucked up things going on or 
Sure. Because I create this drama so much. It's that maturity maturity level and that experience and wisdom that comes with time. Good times. (laughs) Good times. We are going to be later on in this episode talking uh, to Zeke more about his uh, music. Uh, You've been in a plethora of projects and and, uh, uh, you're very prolific around here in these parts. Oh wow! In my in my opinion, so uh, (laughs) only yours. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But uh, so, what? Like, how do how were you able to get? You know, you started in the district attorney's office. Mm -hmm. How did that come about? Was that just a you know out of high school apply for Um, a? You know, um, when I was eighteen years old, I graduated early from high school and in North Carolina, and I moved back here mm-hmm. uh, when i was 15 we moved my family moved to north carolina and we lived there and then when i was 18 uh i instantly moved back and um by yourself or with your family or with my sister oh, okay just my sister and i um and we moved back here and uh when we got back here it was due to a, a personal family tragedy at that time and then uh my mother uh essentially took my sister in and i didn't really have a place to go so uh, I ended up staying with uh, a girlfriend that I'd had previously, and we sort of rekindled the relationship, which was an unfortunate, uh, <laughs> deep, scary, disgusting yeah. series of unfortunate just fuck-ups over and over for us. Um, but we were living together, and the first thing, I, I mean, two days after I got back, I realized I had no money at all, so I needed to start looking for jobs. So I started looking for jobs, and I must have applied at 100 places that day. And the only place that called me back was Payless. Mm. So um, I interviewed at Payless. And I actually, my strength in anything is interviews. I am the shit at interviews. You're, you're a very charismatic man. Uh. <laughs> but right off the bat, I can like, man, this guy knows how to talk to people. I was just thinking, yeah, I'm pretty good at interviews. Maybe not podcast interviews, but, <laughs> but work interviews. But okay, it looks like I'm doing okay in this one. But yeah, I was, I was very, very... Um, I was very good at interviews, and so I got the job right away. Plus, it, it actually was a really funny interview. It was, I don't know if either of you have ever been in what's called a group interview. No. Where there's like two or three other people in the same room trying to get the same job as you. And in front of everyone, you're trying to prove that. <laughs> oh, so that, it's like a competition? Yes, almost? it's like a competition. <laughs> and I absolutely yeah. thrive in competition. Yeah. I love competing. So it was this really, but I didn't, it was, it was no competition because one of the applicants didn't speak English. And one of them said she could only work Thursdays. <laughs> and so I was just like, um, I speak English and I'm available to work every day. Yeah. And so um, I got the job. I was also going to school full time at the time. Um, and then I started working. I left that job because it was absolutely terrible. And all day, it wasn't even selling shoes. It was punching the anti-theft devices into <laughs> shoes for six hours every single day. So I couldn't take it. So I applied for the county. And I got a job as a, a student film tech um, for the clerk and recorder's office. So oh, okay. all the old microfiche and microfilm tapes that had, like, old records on them, they essentially just wanted me to box them up and label them and keep some kind of database of them. I mean, I'm, I I mostly didn't do anything. I just mm-hmm. hung out in the film basement and kind of just, like, you know, shot the shit with, like, the old guy down there. But um, I acquired some, some cool experience there. And then I saw that the... Um, job was open at the district attorney's office and I thought oh, okay you know this is a good way to sort of stop being a student worker um and I was 
I was going to school full time at the time, but uh, I was really trying to find an excuse to drop out. Mm. So I just applied for it and again, crushed the interview. So uh, they hired me and I had previous experience with like records and stuff, which mm-hmm. is one of the things that they, they wanted. So I sort of just fell into it. But once I did, I loved the legal the legal aspect of it and I, I fell in love with like watching court proceedings and um, you know, anytime there was a, a prominent trial that happened, I'd always sneak in there and sit in the back and watch it. Cause it's such an interesting, it's such an interesting process. And you see these, you see this very, my mind works in a very efficient and logical way. And so when you see the way that these court proceedings work, even though the verdicts aren't always efficient or logical, yeah. the process <laughs> itself is, is amazing. You know, evidence and everything, what must be brought in is only based on this very logical basis, you know? So it's, it's just it was conducive to the way that my brain works. So I enjoyed it a lot. And then when you got back from your tour, is that when you started working at the public, just kind of, did you just roll well, it back in there or I, what's funny is that the day I left the district attorney's office, I, I spoke with the district attorney who's still the district attorney. His name's Greg Totten. And he said, you know what? There's always going to be a job here for you. You've done a great job while you were here. I actually won, um, as part of the best, the best clerical team of 2007 at that time so um like you know our clerical team was awesome and he called me and he remembered giving me the award and he's like you know you're always your great member here is always going to be a place for you so i thought oh man that's awesome you know so i left did my thing and then when i came back i realized oh man you know this i'm not going to be making any money with this band thing plus we basically um just stopped making music um so it was time to move on and I, of course, went back to see Mr. Tot. Mr. Tot, and I couldn't get a an interview with him in any way whatsoever, or even to speak with him. Sent a letter, never heard back. So I realized, okay, that's over. So I started applying applying for other legal jobs, and I got a job entry level at a debt collection law firm, and just worked my way up there really quickly, and became a supervisor in a couple years, and. At that point, I gained a lot of supervisor experience while I was there, which then led me to be able to apply at the public defender's office as a supervisor position. Oh, okay. Uh. So, and that's what I do. I'm basically the staff supervisor um, for um, the clerical staff who will do, you know, motions and filing and serving and handle calendars and files and that sort of thing. Interesting. Are we probably going to the second song? Yes. This is a this is a project called uh, "Release the Long Ships." Um, it's a like an acoustic kind of post rocky, uh, at, like kind of atmospheric uh, project uh, from Hungary. Hmm. Uh, the guy does all his own um, like artwork and stuff for the records, and it's like beautiful shit. Um, so, uh, "Release the Long Ships." This song is called "Death in Norilsk."
maybe like a a week before we just do in the tower so like we're not doing this oh, yeah because price is ridiculous and it's just not worth it to it me. gets out of control uh real quick that was uh release the long ships with death in norilsk release the long ships.bandcamp.com the guy has a bunch of stuff on there and it's all beautiful it like some of it ranges from post-rock neoclassical to just fucking nasty metal stuff so it's it's really really good um the second part of the interview basically is is gonna you know focus more on like your music stuff and uh you know what you got planned for the near future as far as music goes and and Mm -hmm. uh and uh you know what's your general you know kind of ideology is on on what you're doing uh First off, I I always ask this. I asked this to Curtsy when they were on and any other musician that we've had on. The very first band you were ever in, what was the name of it? <laughs> first band I was ever in was called Slum Brigade. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a I mean, it's a play on or not a play on, it's a direct reference to the the Slum Brigades of the uh uh, uh late 1800s, early 1900s, uh uh early New York era. Um, and it was just a hardcore band and mm-hmm. we were the absolute worst hardcore band of all time. <laughs> it sounded so yeah. terrible. There's nothing good about it at yeah. all. All right, cool. Yeah. I always, I always like to ask that to, because like I've, as it's been said on this podcast a million times, like I've been in, I've been in a few bands that never left a garage that mm-hmm. were just, you know, noise groups and the fucking names of those things are so dumb and it's like, usually bad. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I, and everybody has a funny story or like a funny band name that they, and so I always like to ask that kind of stuff. Yeah. But uh how how early on in your life did you get um you know kind of sucked in with with music and playing music and you know and where did where did you get the bug to play music live kind of what you know mm-hmm. So I mean music's always been a huge part of my family's existence cuz my mom was a concert pianist when young and then she was just the organist and pianist at three churches every Sunday, you know, growing up and she'd take me and, or Becky and I, no, me and Becky, um, to, uh, these events. And, uh, you know, so we always just heard her playing and then at home she'd always be practicing. My dad was, my dad always claimed that he played instruments, but I never really saw him do it. Uh, and, but he'd always sing, he'd always sing in the house. Our our family was always just singing. We'd mm-hmm. always sing together. It was actually kind of weird. But so, I mean, my whole life, it's always been, and then my grandmother was, was the organist at the same church for 35 years before that. Mm -hmm. So it's just this, you know, thing. And they all taught piano and all taught voice and everything. So it was just, I was immersed in it. And then I think when I was, I joined the school band when I was in fourth grade and I wanted to play drums really bad, but, uh, Mr. Lingo. Oh, the, yeah. the, I think that's everyone's. Yeah, everybody's music teacher. He's teacher. He came to me in fourth grade, and he, and he said, you know, we want you to uh, play trombone. He said, my teeth are shaped perfect for it. <laughs> I actually was really weird. But yeah. I actually, trombone was his instrument, so yeah. I think he just wanted to play trombone, wanted, like, more trombone players, you know. So me and uh, Jordan Bruner and Jesus Perez and a couple guys just played uh, trombone. So that's when oh. I really got into it. And then... I went over to uh, to a friend's house and he had a guitar, and I realized that oh my god, I have to like I have to fuck with guitar. This is the coolest thing ever. And what what age was that again? 
Um, I would have been in fifth grade. So uh, fifth grade, I just was like yeah. obsessed with playing guitar and learning guitar. I had to learn everything about it. Just asked for one and and just played it forever. Then I started, and I was always in school band, and then I started playing the bass guitar in school band um, because in jazz band because mm-hmm. um, there are already a lot of trombones. So, And that must have been when I was... Uh, you know, thirteen or something, mm-hmm. and that whole time I'd been listening. I'd been just getting into music and stuff, and I always wanted to write songs. And I, I asked, but I had no way of recording them. So I'd write these songs in my head, and then there was no way to get them out. So I asked my dad for a four-track tape recorder so that I could record everything, you know, and then I could do all the other instruments it ju- rather than just guitar and vocals. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it was just a process of literally my, just my entire life, I guess, you know? Uh, I remember, this is years ago, uh, you and I met at a, um, we met up after, you know, not having seen each other in a while, we met up at like a Starbucks in Ventura, and we were talking about doing like a little kind of little project together, Mm -hmm. and uh, I remember you saying that you uh, were in the process of like scoring films. Uh, yeah, so at Brooks, um, there was there were a couple people I knew who were at Brooks, and they just, I mean, I wouldn't scoring films is is pretty is pretty uh, loose term for what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but yeah. yeah, yeah. So these guys would make these student films as projects, and they needed people to um, put music to them. Yeah. So that's... yeah, they would give me the film, and then I would just uh, put stuff over it oh, over okay. it that I thought was appropriate. And then it kind of got out for a little while amongst everyone in the school. Like, this guy basically does this either on the cheap or, like, for free. Uh-huh. Does uh, Were you using your music, like, stuff that you made? No. Or? I was I was just uh, making incidental music for each thing. Okay. I'd watch the movie and then just play as I watched it and just okay. sort of, like... Yeah, that's, that's what I meant. I, I oh, didn't yeah, know yeah. if you were using, like... Yeah, I wasn't yeah. using anyone else's. I was just making the music originally for each project. Cool. So, and a lot of it was probably pretty similar to Ochiru stuff, mm-hmm. but with strings um or horns or percussion as opposed to um 8-bit synthesizer engines yeah that's always been like like movie scores and like stuff like that like when to me you know and i'm a fucking amateur but like to me it's that takes a lot of fucking ta- to to me at least you know like to to kind of get the essence of what you're watching mm-hmm. and to fucking put that to music to fit that you know to compliment what's going on. Like, I, th- I think that's really fucking cool. And like, I remember, I remember that was one little bit that came from that conversation that we had. And, uh, and then I never had a chance to actually ask you like where that <laughs> came from and what, you know, what, how long did you end up doing that? Just... I did. I did probably like six films. Okay. And, uh, you know, there were short films, nothing very long. Each one was maybe like six minutes at most, mm-hmm. um, six to 10 minutes at most. And, you know, I I was I went into it. It was kind of daunting at first because I actually know somebody who does this for a living for video games and for movies and for commercials and things like that. And he was going to school for it at the time. And I remember kind of, you know, just uh, pulling his ear a little bit and asking him some questions about things. But, you know, it, orchestration is difficult. A lot of people don't really understand what goes into it. Um, you know, when you hear it sometimes, especially on an amateur level, you hear uh, a violin sound operating outside of the range of what a violin is capable of or a cello operating in a violin's register. So once you understand the, the range of 
the octave range in which an instrument operates and you actually use it. Once I started realizing that, I was like, oh man, this sounds so much more professional. Mm-hmm. Like now it sounds like the instrument's doing what it's supposed to be doing, <laughs> you know? So little things like that just started coming to me uh, as as you do it and you just sort of learn more and more. I definitely, you know, I didn't go to school f- for for how to do that. It's something that comes. And it's sort of daunting at first because you think, oh man, does this fit with this? Does this fit with this? You know, is, is this going to seem odd during the process? And honestly, as long as you don't have some aggro, crazy piece going on during a sensitive scene or vice versa, um, you know, you're going to be okay. So you did, uh, while you were doing these, um, you know, scoring for, for these little, the, the small films, mm-hmm. was this uh, before or after, like, uh, in transmission and, and stuff like that started? It was during. During? Uh, in trans, into transmission. Uh, in, in transmission was my first what I would say is my first real band, real band, um, a band that I took the most serious and dedicated so much of my time to. And, um, it was just a fantastic experience with my best friend, Jordan Bruner. And we, uh, toured the country with it, uh, wrote a million songs, played a million shows, and it was just a wonderful time in my life. Uh, how long, how long, uh, Bouts did did in transmission go for? Uh, like five or six years. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then from there on, you've you've gone you've gone on to do uh, solo records under just Zeke Berkeley. And, yeah. Uh, I have how two. was how was the the writing process for for the the first record, the uh, Berkeley One? Berkeley One was was fun because I had all these songs I'd written for in trans in transmission, and I had all these songs that I'd written for. Uh, um, a band I was in at the time called Pretty Wife with a couple of my friends. Who um, I've uh, I finally found on like SoundCloud and Bandcamp. Yeah, I, f- I was looking the, the other day trying to trying to find them, and I finally found. Nice, yeah. Finally it's, found it. it's hard yeah. because normally it pulls up like porn stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it's like Pretty Wife, you know. Well, it's 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 good on on Bandcamp, like you're because uh, if I just search in the Bandcamp app now. Oh, you nice. guys came up and and uh, said Oxnard, California. I was like, well, that has to be fucking. That has to be it. Yeah, so, yeah. At that time, we yeah. were all living in a house together in Oxnard, mm-hmm. so we were repping. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I'd I'd had all these songs written for all these other projects that just never fit. So then it was like, but they, but I liked them so much, and so um, and there were also a couple songs that I was just kind of saving in my back pocket because I was like, okay, this is so fucking good. Like, I could do this in such <laughs> mm-hmm. a cool way. So I saved all those up, and I had some left over from here and there. And I was, I I knew a local guy here named Brian Mikasa who recorded. Um, his own stuff and it sounded really good and so I was like hey you want to get together and just do this in your bedroom so we went into a bedroom set up a drum kit and without any background or scratch tracks or anything I just literally played every song on drums straight through mm-hmm. and then we just layered everything on top of them it was a very organic experience very fun and um, just ended up being a really cool aesthetic on that on that record I think uh like when you said that you had, you know, you had these songs that you had written and that you wanted to use for in transmission. I, I mean, that to me, it seems like they're completely different styles of, uh, you know. Yeah, so like, absolutely. You, you know, I have these, I have the idea behind songwriting is, I mean, I write a song a week, you know, at least. Um, because if you don't do that, you aren't honing it. You aren't owning it. You yeah. aren't being, you aren't doing, you know, and mm-hmm. I need to be. I need to be doing that all the time. So I write all these songs and then you have to 
you have to apply the proper aesthetic to it based on the sentiment that it conveys. So that's that's actually what songwriting is. It's creating something, applying an aesthetic to it that then is in conjunction and, and best represents the sentiment. So um, I think sentiment is most important in a song. So the aesthetic of whether or not there's uh, huge heavy electric guitars or um, you know distorted guitars or you know if it's this cool jazz corded out type deal or if it's just a soundscape with very minimal percussion something like that that's something that you apply later the sentiment and the core of the song is what exists most um most heavily so for me uh, i don't think of anything in terms of like um this is best for this this is best for this initially it's once you apply those things then you say okay that's why that's why it won't work you know because if you have a very it's sort of like the scoring if you have this this sentiment that is very uh, sensitive and uh, very deep, it can work with huge um, distorted guitars, but oftentimes it's not the most appropriate for it. Um, then, you know, after uh, Berkeley One was released in, uh, what, what year was that released in? 2011. 2011, okay. And then... Uh, I'm sorry, 2013. 2013? Yes. Okay. Uh, two years later, you, you uh, released Berkeley Two. Yes, um, that uh, that writing process I imagine was a little bit different than definitely than, different. Uh, and uh, the rec- I, I know the recording uh, proce- uh, process of it was 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 a lot different than than the original than Berkeley One. Yeah, which uh, d- did you do that here in, at Archive? That was that was done at Archive. Yeah, correct? I recorded it in a studio, which is the big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't in a in a in bedroom. A bedroom. <laughs> um, Mikasa and I barely fit in the bedroom yeah. when we did that, but. Yeah, it was nice to have all that space and to and to do it on a nice board and in a big, nice tracking live room. And um, John's so cool to work with too at Archive because he just he lets you just have free reign of whatever you want. You know, I'd I'd go lay down some drums and he'd be like, "What do you want to do next?" And um, we just sort of swap between songs in and out of songs based on ideas from other ones. You know, because for Ber- Berkeley too, I definitely wanted there to be an aesthetic that was. Uh, cohesive and existent throughout each song that sort of tied them all together mm-hmm. sort of like a not a musical but like a just a cohesive you know there were different riffs that you'd hear reprised um that existed in other songs but um would show themselves again so i wanted it to be more of a record record and um it was a wonderful process that um took significantly longer but that ultimately rendered some fantastic results um I, uh, you know, we don't want to take up too much more of your time. I know we, you kind of, you have a busy schedule today. Uh, I kind of personally own or, uh, kind of keep, uh, Berkeley two kind of near and dear to my, you know, just cause of I course. was lucky enough to play the live show for that. And, uh, I, so I always kind of try to sing that record's praises whenever I get a chance to. It's, I appreciate that. You did such a fantastic uh, job, Steve. And- it's a, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. I, been meaning to thank you because <laughs> I, I don't want to sit here and you know kiss all over you but uh that kind of got me out of a rut you know and it kind of pulled me back into doing stuff that I enjoy doing and we talked about that a little earlier on the show but it was like this was something for me to focus on something that I used to focus on it gave me a chance to do that again and it fucking made me it helped me fall back in love with something that I had kind of left behind for a while so oh, i think that's great i uh 
don't want to get too mush, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I just kind of wanted to give you. I uh, just wanted to say thanks. I haven't had a chance really to kind of talk to you about that. I'm kinda. I'm glad that could happen, and I like I said, you did a fantastic it job. Was a, a wonderful record, and I got to meet some fucking awesome people. I got to meet people that I became somewhat friends with, you know. So it was it was really cool. And uh, uh, I guess we would love to have you back on again to to kind of dive more into into you know the musical side of 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 you and and you know any other projects that you have going on is there anything coming up that you're well there's that you're yeah um you know of course i'm gonna record my new record soon but then there's also the um the i'm forming a new band right now uh and aren't too many details on it right now keeping it a little little hush hush i'm sure you know a little bit about it steve mm-hmm. so um but yeah that, maybe next time we can talk about that a little more cool uh congratulations on your upcoming nuptials oh thank you i appreciate that and uh this next record or this next song the song to close out the uh the show um is off of berkeley 2 it's one of my favorite uh songs on the record Uh, i've played garbage ears uh a couple episodes uh in the in the past uh this is one of my favorite songs on this album uh it's just it's all over the place and it's but it's put together so so well um it's called rain you can find it at zekeberkeley.bandcamp.com z e k e b e r k l e y not like the city just Ber- <laughs> you know berkeley like it sounds uh so here we go this is uh rain by zeke berkeley off of berkeley 2 uh until next time i am steve i am bean thanks guys Please don't tell me that I'm special Cause I'm not